the Water Values Podcast is sponsored by the following market-leading companies and organizations. By Black & Veatch, building a world of difference. By CanDo, providing actionable insights from utility wastewater data to improve environmental and public health. By Mentor APM, intelligent asset management software built for water. By 374 Water, pioneering a new era in sustainability. By Woodard & Curran, high-quality consulting engineering, science, and operations services. By Intera, innovation and stewardship for a sustainable tomorrow. By Xylem, let's solve water. And by the American Water Works Association, dedicated to the world's most important resource. This is Session 217. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey and thank you so much for joining me. It's great to be back from my summer hiatus from podcasting and I hope your summer is going as well as mine. Uh, and that you're all having a lot of fun and a uh, an absolutely great summer. We have a terrific episode ahead for you. We have Alex Lakopoulos of Science Water, who provides great context on how his firm chose water as an investment vehicle and what themes they're looking for when investing. Alex crushes it, so get ready for a great interview with him. Lots of insights packed in there. We also have Reese Tisdale for a Bluefield on Tap segment coming up. We always begin with a hearty thank you to our sponsors, Black & Veatch, Can Do, Mentor APM, 374 Water, Woodard & Curran, Intera, Xylem, and the American Water Works Association. What a terrific collection of impactful companies that have decided to support water industry thought leadership and education. Thank you all. And I'd like for you to do me a favor out there. If you could, please, if you work for or with any of these sponsors, please thank your boss or thank your contact at the sponsor firm and let them know that you appreciate their leadership in the industry through the sponsorship. You'd be surprised how far that simple little note of thanks will go. And as long as you're letting the sponsors know you appreciate their support of water industry education and thought leadership, why not leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, CastBox, or whatever other podcast directory you're accessing the podcast on. It would be greatly appreciated and will help others find out about the podcast. And also, please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Before we head on to the interview with Alex, let's get to our Bluefield on Tap segment with Reese Tisdale. Let's take it away, guys. Well, Reese, welcome back to another Bluefield on Tap. How's your summer going? Uh, I'd like to think it's still midsummer. It doesn't quite feel that way. But we're not even in August, so uh, I should embrace it and say it's been going great. Yeah, well, by the time this rec- is released, it'll it will be August. Um, and my, how the tables have turned! The Mariners now have a winning record. I was uh, I was so depressed the last time we talked that uh, uh, the, the Mariners must have got that vibe and turned it back on. We talked a couple of weeks ago. And talk about dog days of summer around here. <laughs> Holy cow. Not only did I tell you now, sadly, that I spent $200 a ticket to go see the Yankees Red Sox and the Yankees were still in first place, but the Red Sox were knocking on the door of the wild card and lo and behold, the Red Sox are now in last place and should quite honestly just trade everybody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, 
we are the best armchair GMs around. Um, so what's on your mind? What's how, what, what has the summer brought you what, from the Bluefield Research uh, Department? What's going on there? So one of the things that uh, we've been looking, actually, I don't know if you heard, but sustainability is in the news. It there's, is? There's, <laughs> there's apparently a lot happening. And, you know, as a result of it's summertime in California, like it is here, but their wildfires have already started in California. Uh, we had the Texas winter storm a couple of years ago. So we started looking at sort of municipal or utility resiliency and what's happening and really how are utilities and cities responding. And a couple of things have unfolded from that. One, we're about to release some analysis on microgrids and how municipal utilities are using microgrids to insulate themselves from climate and or demand-related issues. But also, we kind of flipped the equation and partly prompted by a client who was saying, hey, do you mind looking at what are cities doing in the U.S.? Can you pinpoint how they are looking at sustainability in, in the climate. And I'd say I would frame it this way. For a lot of cities, the water and wastewater utilities, those systems can use as much as 30 to 40% of a utility's you know, uh, energy. It can be represent that much of its energy usage. And just through all the pumping and the conveyances and the treatment in and of itself, no one really thinks about that. And so as a result, you know, emissions are high, but also there's a lot of risk when it comes to power demand and uh, will they be able to perform in times of disruption? Yeah, well, I appreciate that that additional context. I know a lot of our listeners are probably pretty, you know, tied into the energy, water, food supply nexus. Uh, and so I think, you know, creating that line between the, the water, wastewater utilities and the energy sector is, is important. Uh, so in your research, what are you finding? How, how are municipal, municipal utilities kind of preparing for, for climate resilience? Well, well, really what we did is we looked at the municipalities and said, okay, what are the cities doing? And so we looked across about 50 cities across the U.S., of which 35 actually had climate action plans with some uh, with targets related in some form to to water and wastewater management. And it really kind of unfolded in three different buckets. So there's some cities about uh, of those 35, I think eight of them really looked at carbon neutrality by a certain time frame, whether it be 2045 or 2050. Those are really the big targets of those eight. And those included cities like Honolulu and Oakland, Columbus, Ohio, and Dallas. The next bucket was really cities that were looking at net zero emissions by a certain time frame. So they were saying, let's get to zero. And that included Austin, Denver, Houston, Indianapolis um, that fell into that bucket. There were about seven of those. And then the rest of them, which in a way, there's a lot of discussion, at least internally at Bluefield, and that is they looked at benchmark targets by time. So they, what they did is they looked back and said, hey, we'd like to reduce our emissions by 15% from what they were in 2005 or 2000. And so, you know, depending on the side, what was happening in 2000, 2005, you know, the numbers can vary. But that's really how it unfolded. So the main takeaway is everybody's going a different direction. It's like herding cats, trying to figure out exactly how they're doing it. There's no edict from down on high. I know you and I were just talking a little bit about what's happening in Washington these days. Um, but yeah, this is, it's going to be, and so the result is 
utilities are taking a number of different approaches within those um, broader target uh, strategies, whether it be conservation programs, building requirements. Some are driving, looking towards reuse, better managing stormwater, uh, biogas capture, things like that. Interesting. Interesting. What about um, how are the rating agencies affecting uh, climate activity or climate actions by municipalities? Well, you know, I can't speak to exactly how they're doing it. We haven't looked specifically at that, but it raises a good question because I remember it was at the, the utility management conference. I was presenting there with um, with some clients. I think we were in Atlanta last summer. And one of the questions, there was a lot of talk about corporate sustainability and what are industries doing and what about them and, uh, you know, um, but one question that came back from actually from someone at DC Water, and that was, well, what about the cities and the utilities? You know, there's a real benefit here for, you know, bonds, bond ratings, uh, you know, if the cities and or utilities are taking a certain approach, whether it be, you know, can they can they benefit from this? And I think the general assumption is yes. Um, that being said, you know, if you want to tie it into the broader ESG market and it's, it's hard to pin down um, about how it is going to play out and really the impact, but there's definitely a lot of interest and attention going in that direction. Yeah. I mean, I, in, in, in my view, the rating agencies uh, hold a lot of influence. If they are going to assign a lower credit rating because you're not, uh, not being, uh, you know, investing in climate-friendly or climate-resilient infrastructure, you know, that's that's a big issue because one move on the rating scale can represent millions of dollars, right? Yeah, I think it's huge. And I think at this point, given where things are, you don't really have a choice to ignore it. I mean, you can't ignore it, right? You have to, if you can work in that direction. And quite honestly... The reality of it is, you know, a lot of the solutions and technologies that a lot of these cities are considering, whether it be water conservation, they're probably needed, like if you're in the Western U.S., US obviously, but, you know, to do things like biogas capture or deploy things like microgrids, which include renewables, quite honestly, that's a big benefit. And um, both from a performance and operations point of view, but also to your point, financial. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Reese, as always, great information from you and the folks at Bluefield. Thank you so much. And we'll talk to you next time. Thanks so much. Thanks to me, Dave. And uh, happy to say goodbye from the tank. We're changing (laughs) offices this week. Uh, Good luck on the move. Safe travels, my friend. Bye. Thanks. As always, great information from Bluefield Research and Reese Tisdale. Now it's on to our featured guest, Alex Lokopoulos of Science Water. So let's get that water flowing. Well, Alex, welcome to the Water Values Podcast. It's great to have you on. How are you doing today? Great. Well, th- thank you for having me on, uh, David. I'm a huge fan of of your podcast for many years and a big source of my inspiration and, and certainly education as I've been uh, pursuing uh, this amazing world of, of water here in the U.S. Yeah. So thank you. Oh, you're you're, you're very welcome. It, I'm, I'm glad there are folks out there like you that so it's not just my mom downloading and listening. Um so could you tell us a little about your background, Alex, and how you came to the water sector and kind of what you're doing in the water sector? Sure, absolutely. And i um, excited to do that. So my uh, journey into water 
was not a straight line uh, by any means. Um, I uh, where I where we are today is um, I'm a partner with Science Water, which is a dedicated water uh, U.S. water infrastructure and investment company where we invest in in private businesses in, in the water space. But the path and the line w- was certainly not straight. I um, did, you know, did multiple uh, different types of uh, both on the investing side and on the technology side uh, earlier in my career and really uh, started getting into the water space about eight years ago. And the reason uh, started looking at water was at the time, Science Capital was investing in what I'm going to call real assets, which is um, really, and I, and I think it's a key differentiator in terms of how people define uh, private investing is by real assets, we we were not investing as a venture capitalist, sort of early stage investors, and we were not investing on a later stage, you know, deep infrastructure types of projects. So we were really looking at at buying assets that we could work and 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 optimize and 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 scale, sort of like traditional mid market private equity, but focusing on um, real asset sectors and. We had recently, um, we had successfully done that in in a sector in, in aviation. We had done it in, in other transportation verticals and natural resources. And about eight years ago, when we began uh, a transition to say, let's pick one sector that we really want to focus on for the next you know, 20, 30 years of our career, uh, water was one of those sectors that, that hit our radar screen. And at the time, um, didn't know too much about, about the water space aside from a lot of the the sort of super macro types of trends that people talked about at the time, so really started digging into into water. And the more uh, we started looking at it and, and researching it, we realized, uh, wow, it's it's a it's a sector that uh, you know a represents a lot of uh, opportunity as an as a private investor. Uh, two, it's a sector that because of that is is kind of complicated and, and there's a reason for for that opportunity so it needs a lot of education and research to be able to do it right but uh lastly my god if you do this right uh the impact that you can have in addition to making private returns and the impact you can have not just over one cycle which oftentimes is the case in in the financial markets or or in in, in investing in a specific asset or an asset class this could be going on for you know 10 20 30 40 years because the uh the problems are are so many and and can can need to be tackled over a long period of time so um that's really how started looking at water and then the more i've been digging into it over the last eight years here with with the team at science water the the the, the excitement continues to build and the projects grow and and um and and that's kind of how i've ended up on on your show i guess after all these <laughs> having having listened to I wouldn't say all of the 200 plus podcasts, but certainly a lot of them were, were extremely helpful for me early on to to put um, a lot of information behind what what, what does water really mean because um, it is so broad and complex. Yeah, yeah. So I, I am I'm well. Thank you for your kind words, but I am I am very interested in in when you said you were sitting around not not necessarily sitting around but when you were looking for areas to invest in water was one of those areas but you didn't know much about it what what was it about the water sector that caught your eye at that time yeah uh a few things one is we wanted uh, a sector that was exhibiting uh strong macro trends right like any financial investor right you you want to invest something that's growing and and certainly um water um 
exhibits those, right? We we see that the, a lot of the sectors within water um, are exhibiting growth because there is more infrastructure being built. There is more technology being spent. There is more um, upgrading happening. And that trend, um, you know, we, we saw that continuing over a long period of time. So, so that was the first thing. The second thing is we wanted, we got attracted to water because it was unique. Uh, in many of the opportunities that that we've done uh, here at Science Capital over the last you know few decades, it, it, it's not the obvious stuff, right? Because if it's so obvious, the market tends to be more efficient. There's fewer ability to to create financial returns and be opportunistic. So with water, we saw that because the market was so fragmented, we could apply and 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 add value basically at the end of the day because there wasn't tons of other people doing it. Um, so we we got attracted to that, and I would say that the last part of water, which which was you know a big part of this, was we wanted to do something that had impact. Um, and uh, obviously, when you when you're in the water space, um, and and you see that amongst you know most of the people that happen to be in the water space, they really care about having impact and, and not just writing down on a piece of paper we are an ESG fund or, or we are having impact, but real impact because water for all of its um, kind of uh, positive qualities, it, it literally affects everything in, that, that we do and, and can impact people's health, economics, everything across the board. So that, that you know, the combination of those three things really excited us about water early on um, and certainly continues to be true across all three of those. Yeah, terrific. But And, and by no means was it, was it, uh, you know, uh, easy to, to come to this water. It was, it was actually several, um, you know, months and, and years of kind of being able to dissect sectors down, but water clearly gravitated to the top because it had all three of those characteristics. Yeah. And one of the things I want to pick up on, uh, that, that you'd mentioned, you, you, I think you said, you know, we're not an early stage VC firm. We're not, you know, kind of a, a late stage infrastructure firm or more of a middle market PE, you know, uh, firm. And, and, you know, for, for, for those of us who may not be, you know, financial, uh, as financially savvy as, as you are, what, what do you mean by middle market? You know, what, what, how, how do you view that, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, the, the type of capital you're deploying or, you know, just what you're looking for or the, the sectors you're looking at. I'm just kind of curious how you, how you define that middle market. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, great question. Um, so w- within the world of private investing, right, you have, you have the whole pendulum and each, each of them have different profiles, right? So venture capital is investing in earlier stage companies that have much higher risk profiles, but much, you know, m- much p- higher return potential, but the, the risk is quite high. So they typically invest in, in early stage technologies, businesses that are one person, two people, or or still money losing, right? And that's what I'm labeling as venture capital. Then you have kind of mid-market, which is existing businesses that need, that are, you know, established, that need to gain more market share, more scale, more operational efficiency. Um, and that profile is, is very different. And that's pretty much what we focus on in, in the water space. And then you have at the very tail end of that, you have, let's call it safe, safer private investments, which is I'm investing in something that's you know, a, a bridge or a hydropower plant that has a 20 year offtake agreement or 
a treatment plant that is is you know in operations for the next 20 years with a uh, recurring cash flow so that's more later stage infrastructure what we focused on traditionally was this middle market uh private equity piece and more specifically i think within the water space would it would it why it fits so well with what our skill set was and our value add as in private investors was that i fundamentally think the water space doesn't have enough of this in the middle um you've had you have a lot of people that are uh a lot more people that are focusing on the early stage technology stuff because it's super interesting and 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 you certainly need a lot more technology uh in the water space but i think that there's a lot of people that that do that and do it really well um and then you also have a lot of people that can fund larger projects more steady cash flow projects i have you know but larger more infrastructure type of projects in water but what you don't have is people that are doing uh this middle piece which i think in in our view and, and it continues to be true 8 years later i think that's a big bottleneck to solving a lot of the problems is getting the capital into these smaller businesses to unleash uh technologies being utilized and then eventually building enough scale that the 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 larger capital and the more larger infrastructure money can can actually access it um and that's where we see uh, our role as science water and that's where we see the our value add and and the opportunity fundamentally uh in the water sector and and when i say water sector i'm i'm specifically talking about the us here we we don't do anything outside of the us okay very good. So you, you, Science Water has found a way to overcome the obstacle to get into that middle market. What do you think the obstacles are and how did you find your way around it? Yeah, uh, it, it was challenging, right? I, I think part of it was that we had been doing mid-market private equity for a long time, right? So so we we came with a skill set of of what it means to to be dealing with middle market companies understanding scale and the types of operational issues that mid market companies have right so so that was the first thing secondly we had done it um successfully in a few other sectors um where we approached it with the same dynamic and and the same kind of template in real assets like i mentioned aviation transportation and, and natural resources um and so we came at it with a with the framework that we applied to water which enabled us to do this efficiently and and to do it um with gaining the right knowledge at the right period you know over the right period of time because as 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 you know having you know been in the water space for a long time it's very confusing and i think to do this and attack the middle market right you can have this skill set you, you need you need a, a lot of of patience right to get the right amount of knowledge to be able to do it right because this is the water sector i think you, you, more than more than many of the sectors that i've been involved with in, in my you know 30 year career is that it's you need to come at it with with a with a point of view and some knowledge otherwise you get really lost because there are so many micro sectors that are going around it um so i think we 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 took a position that we were committed to this and we were going to educate ourselves on this and keep going uh, until we um we really uh found th- that right um knowledge and that right opportunity to invest the capital and and that that process actually took uh a couple years uh which most traditional uh, i would say private investors don't have uh the patience or 
the the interest to spend you know two a couple of years really looking at a sector so deeply before really making their first investment, which which certainly was the case with us that it didn't happen you know overnight that we decided okay we want to be in a dedicated water fund and we're going to make our first investment in in rolling up small utilities in Missouri um, that that process took a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. So we've talked at a pretty high level. um, And I I have some very concrete questions for you coming up. But before we get to those, uh, we're sitting here recording this in in early June. um, And, you know, if you look at the broader markets, tech has been hammered in the first half of 2022. And, you know, you're seeing you're seeing uh, uh, capital flow to essentially cash producing ventures, which it sounds like that's what the middle market would would be. Uh, are you seeing Are you seeing people other others find their way around those obstacles? Or I mean, how 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 are you? Do you do you think the middle market is is starting to attract more uh, investors and more capital? I mean, in general, um, I think I've seen many many cycles, right? So right now we're entering a cycle where where investors are. Um, looking for more stable types of returns, right? Um, which was, which, you know, ebbs and flows over over multiple cycles. So right now we're certainly entering that, um, given the instability in other parts of the market. Um, I think more specifically, interest in the water space and stable cash flows in the water space has continued to attract a lot of attention um, over the last few years. Part of it is because of the stable cash flows. Um, and part of it is also because of the ability to uh, have impact. I think um, investors are looking for both of those things. Whereas, you know, five or 10 years ago, uh, impact was was less relevant um, and steady cash flow yields were not um, as appealing, but now we're entering both. So I think, and I'm, I'm extremely excited about it, that um, right now, I think more capital will flow into this, um, uh, into the water space and more specifically into the middle market of the water space, because um, I think it's largely um, has been overlooked for, for many of the reasons you just mentioned. And fundamentally, um, you know, where we sit on the private side, I think it's, it's even more exciting because if you look at the, at the public side of water, if you want those steady cash flow yields on water, um, those businesses are, are valued and have their value has been going up and up and up over the last few years that, um, people are starting to look at the private side, um, more, which is also obviously exciting for us. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's get into the concrete questions. Cause right now we've, we've talked kind of almost theoretically about this middle market and what the obstacles are and things like that. What are the actual businesses that you have invested in? Great. So, um, th- so the first business we invested in, um, we, we invest around three specific themes um, w- within w- U.S. water infrastructure. So the first theme is uh, consolidating water uti- the, the fact that there's way too many water utilities in the U.S. So in order to solve that theme and that problem, our first investment was in a uh, Midwest water utility consolidator called Central States Water Resources. And that was our first investment um, a bit over four years ago out of uh, St. Louis. And um, that business started out with a couple of water utilities and now has grown into a couple hundred uh, water utilities. So um, concretely speaking, um, that was certainly um, 
addresses the, the first major theme that we have, the consolidated water utilities, but secondly, also helped us really understand the um, the water ecosystem because there is no better way, I think, to understand the water ecosystem than to actually be a, a water and wastewater utility um, business. And um, so that was the first one. The second uh, theme is around recycle reuse, where um, nearly three years ago, we made our first investment in a company called Integrated Water Services, which is a, a business uh, out of the West Coast that uh, essentially focuses on small to medium-sized uh, treatment plants that it both uh, constructs, engineers, and also uh, provides um, MBR technology to, um, and also leases some of those plants to the either the municipality or the industrial or, or residential users. So that that goes after the theme of we need better efficient uh, recycle reuse on the treatment side, uh, specifically in the lower middle market and in the smaller to, to mid-sized water utilities. Then our third business, which is more on the deep infrastructure, is a uh, company called Crom out of uh, out of Florida and, and really just pretty much focused on the south and the southeast that essentially uh, constructs pre-stressed concrete tanks and services pre-stressed concrete tanks, which is at the core of uh, the infrastructure for water uh, in the U.S. And uh, so our approach really, like you said, is and, and this is, I think, the challenge in the mid-market is, is to take the big macro themes but actually apply them uh, into actionable deals that that you're deploying capital and in, in, in growing them and, and accelerating their growth. And sort of once we built and acquired those three platforms, um, we saw that they all work very much synergistically. And on top of that, we overlaid them with, with a few kind of add-on businesses, one of which is a water as a service, where we provide uh, structured finance and financial solutions to either municipalities or industrial users that, that want to uh, use water as a service. Uh, and the, the second overlay strategy is a financial um, business, which is not just taking equity positions in these businesses, but but providing debt financing either for equipment um, or for, as an example, for some of our MBR plants in IWS or um, or any types of equipment that sits within treatment. And the last and most recent business is the digital overlay business where we are acquiring businesses that help accelerate and make all of our uh, all of our existing businesses, but also operating businesses in water more digitally uh, advanced um, through making them smarter. But those are, so in, in kind of summary, we have three operating uh, investments in operating businesses and three overlay strategies that uh, cut across all of our uh, water investments. Well, let me ask you about the the roll up of the water utilities are you taking the uh, like a, a unified digital platform and and applying that across all the utilities that you're acquiring so that it makes them more efficient um i'm just very interested in and in how uh uh the consolidation will allow greater efficiencies to trickle down to those systems that you're acquiring Yes, so we 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 are acquiring um, small uh, and very small water utilities, right? Um, I think that's that's the hardest part, right? Is is identifying them, acquiring them, getting them through the rate case, and getting it 
at to a scale level. Um, that so that's point one, and that and that's why you saw that the growth for CSWR has just been tremendous, and it's building that engine. But yes, to answer your question, there you know, and being in the middle market and and being specialists in water, we're, we're able to then apply the overlay strategy, which is if you have 300, 400, 500 of these, then you can make them uh, smarter and you can overlay um, sort of, let's call it certain digital strategies or certain um, technological advancements across all of them, rather than each one individually um, getting, you know, not being able to do that. So um, that is a big part of our value add is the ability in, in each of our businesses, this isn't just unique to um, to the to the utility, but it's it's building efficiency through scale, which I think is very much needed in the water space because the, I, you know in all the industries that I've looked at, it's just so massively fragmented. Um, you know, the water utilities is is the most obvious example, right? Why is there people throw numbers 60, 70, 80, 100,000 water utilities in the U.S. right? That's just an astounding number, no matter what. But there are other fragmented pieces, right? Like, you know, in, in the treatment business, you have, you know, hundreds of, of really small water utilities that some of them use all different types of technologies and 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 that market in terms of, of construction companies, engineering firms at the smaller end of the market, the lower middle market is again, super fragmented. So um, a key theme across what we do and what we apply is to be able to, increase efficiency, increase um, uh, impact and, and economic return by by um, by consolidating certain parts of it. Just based on my background, I, f- I find this incredibly interesting. And is have, have you looked into, uh, to the extent your utilities are regulated by a state public service commission or public utility commission, uh, or do they each have individual you know, tariffs or is, have, have you explored kind of a single tariff for that entire state jurisdiction so that you can uh, essentially do a project in maybe one area at a time and everybody helps pay for it that essentially to help smooth the, the rate increases out over time, you know, and spread those over a, a larger customer base. Yeah. So right now we're, we're in uh, 11 States. Um, and as you know, better than anybody, it's very hard to generalize, right? I could be, you know, you could you could be talking about Pennsylvania, which is like talking about, you know, Indiana, and and it's all very different. Um, so in the eleven states we do, it's it's all it, it depends is is the answer, right? Some states, <laughs> public service commission um, is allowing us because we have certain scale to do, uh, you, you know, more unified rate case. In other cases, it's not. So it's uh, and that's that's fundamentally what makes it so challenging is. Is is you, there? You, there is no one size fits all, right? Whether you're talking about it on the regulatory side, on the technology side, um, or or any side, you know, uh, any different parts of it uh, within water. So, uh, but we we obviously part of what we're doing, right? And and this is 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 simplifying it, right? Because I think once you identify um, a part of it that needs to be consolidated. And like I said, I think there's so many in the water space. Um, You just see the efficiencies um, that benefit everybody, right? Because if you're able to consolidate, if you're in, you know, and and bring better service to these small utilities, as an example, um, everybody wins, right? The the investor wins, um, the, the consumer wins because they're getting better service. And eventually if you overlay that with, 
with, you know, let's call it a better digital strategy, um, you're making everything much more cost efficient. And, and obviously the government wins because the last thing I think many of these jurisdictions want is to have more headaches on their hand. And they have somebody who, who does it in a very efficient and, and uh, way. Um, but again, it's incredibly hard to generalize um, anything in terms of jurisdictions or regulators in, in the water space. So we attack each one sort of um, in, on a case by case, state by state basis. Completely understand. But, completely understand. And, and I think, you know, to, to just go back to that, I think that's where being, you know, it, let's call it a, a water insider and having inside water knowledge is extremely useful because I think too many people get tripped up generalizing and, and saying, you know, uh, across jurisdictions, across technologies, um, it's very hard to do that in water. Um, so you need to be careful with, with that. Yeah. And, and are the systems that you have uh, rolled up, are they primarily uh, privately held systems or were they uh, publicly owned systems? So uh, great question. So today, what we've done is all privately held systems that we're acquiring from private hands. These are systems that are largely out of compliance. Um, you know, they're, they're close to uh, enforcement uh, actions or in enforcement actions. Um, and we're really we're really fixing these systems and, and upgrading them and, and doing them in, in the most efficient way, both for for us, for the government and um, and for the, 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 the homeowners or the residential people. Um, but they're they're small private systems. We, we to date, we have not acquired anything from um, from the private side, from the public side. OK, that, yeah, that's no worries. I just wanted to I'm just curious because there are so many systems and, and they say that 85 percent of the market is is a public a public systems, at least on the water side, that would, that would be an area where there's a lot of, it would be ripe for efficiency improvements. Uh, and just, there's a, a larger number of systems. Yeah. And, and that, that's an interesting number you point out there. And I read that, you know, whatever, six or seven years ago, and it, yes, 85% of the population is serviced by municipal systems, but I don't think it's not 85% of all the systems are municipal, right? Because the, the number skews towards the big cities that have the massive systems, right? So, you know, York or LA or, you know, DC, right? This is one or, you know, a few systems that, that manage it for millions of people. But I think that, and, and I think people get tripped up on this, but out of the 60, 70, 80,000 water and wastewater systems, I would say the vast majority are actually small and private. Okay. Um, and, and I think that's what we were able to identify early on. And, and that's the market we went after. Um, and that's the, the market that I think continues to need capital and, and management and efficiency. And, and that's fundamentally what, what we do in as mid market private equity people is, is, a, you know, apply a, a thesis, a strategy, a management team and capital in, in a market that desperately needs it. Well, Alex, you have been absolutely terrific today. I, I am uh, very impressed with what you've been able to do, uh, in su- especially in such a short amount of time. Eight years may seem like a long time, but it's it's really not that long of a time. And you've you've um, you know, especially four years in the you know in the utility sector, uh, and you've gone from essentially zero to a hundred in in uh, a short amount of time. Um, what is your leave behind message uh, that that you want to impart to all the listeners? 
Water is a fascinating market, right? I think it's it's unique in the fact that it's high growth. Um, it's changing. Um, I would encourage people coming out of school, people going into school, uh, people looking at kind of the next career choice is to really look at the water space because if there's one thing I know about the water space is it's incredibly multidisciplinary um, and you can approach it from many different angles. And it's it's a sector that I hope more and more people will um, you know, come top of mind and and, and and partake in it because in certainly in, in my career, I've never seen an opportunity to do incredibly interesting things in a sector that is going to be going on like this for quite some time and, and have tremendous impact um, at the same time while you're, you're building a, a, a great career and, and learning about many different things. It is a complex market. It is one where you you know you you need to get up some learning curve, but you know shows like yours and and some of the other um, you know, academic institutions or or even uh, professional um, companies like ours on the finance side are helping accelerate that for many people because I think we need to. And my my leave behind message is there there is no better time you know if, if you're interested about growth, climate change, multidisciplinary um, approach to, to solutions, technology, water's got all of that. So, uh, you know, come join us, um, reach out to me at Science Water. We're, we're here for, for the long haul, making investments and, and hopefully improving people's lives along the way pretty significantly. And um, I really hope to be doing this for the next 20, 30 years and, and, you know, beginning to solve some of the real issues in water, which, you know, I'm glad we, we didn't get into any of the, the pessimistic elements of it right now, which I think a lot of people or the alarmist, right? Because um, I'd rather focus on the solutions, but it's it's easy to get caught up in the alarmist stuff, which which is there. We don't forget it. Um, but it's um, I think it's very much uh, solvable. Yeah, you're right. It's easy to point out problems, but it's harder to come up with the solutions. And that's that's what we all ought to be focusing on are the solutions rather than just talking about the problems. Um, well, you, you started yes. on, on my, my last question is always kind of for those folks who want to find out more about you and science water, where can they go to get that information, Alex? Yeah. Uh, take a look at our, our website. Uh, we try to provide some, um, some good information on, on the, on what's going on in Mark, uh, in, in the water space. We do, we try to educate through many of our webinars. We're, we're doing a big conference. We work very closely with the Columbia water center here in New York, uh, about educating uh, more and more people about the the different elements of water. Follow us on on LinkedIn, Instagram. You know, we we you know, part of what we're trying to do is is be very uh, forthcoming with with the education of water because it is so easy to get in, especially in this in this world of a lot of media is to get caught up in in the sensationalism of water. But we try to bring it to solutions, and we you know follow us on any of those if if you're interested in. In, in seeing our how we evolve and learning about water. So um, please do or, or reach out to me through the website or anybody else on, on the Science Water team. Awesome. Well, Alex, again, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. You've been terrific, and I really look forward to chatting with you in the future. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. All right. Bye, Alex.
Fine. Thank you, dude. You bet. You know, one of the great things about putting on a podcast is that I get the opportunity to speak with lots of people that are smarter than me. And this was another in a long line of interviews where I learned so much from speaking with my guest. And so thank you, Alex, for sharing your insights and amazing work building up Central States Water. I love how science is leveraging digital solutions to bring scale deficiencies to small systems. That is a game changer. Uh, terrific job, Alex, and Science Water. Uh, well, I would love to know what you thought about the interview. Please check out the show notes page for info on this uh, inf- on this episode. Just Google the Water Values Podcast and click the first link that comes up. That's our home at the uh, Bluefield Research website. Again, the Water Values and Bluefield Research are not affiliates. We just have a joint marketing arrangement, and as part of that, Bluefield is kind enough to give us a home on the web. You can also tweet about the podcast using the hashtag water values and tweet at me using my handle at DTM1993. You can email me at david.mcgimsey at dentons.com and you can sign up for the newsletter at that landing page as well. Thank you again for tuning in and I hope you make it a great day. Plus, I want to give a huge thank you to our sponsors. Again, sponsors of the Water Values podcast include Black and Veach, Can Do, Mentor APM, 374 Water, Woodard and Curran, Intera, Xylem, and the American Water Works Association. This show would not be possible without those great companies and industry leaders. And again, thank you for your support and for listening. I can't tell you how good it feels to be part of the water industry with such caring and dedicated participants, and that I am fortunate enough to work with you and interact with you on a daily basis. Well, in closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Well, thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Indiana and Colorado, and nothing in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or with anyone else. Additionally, nothing in this podcast should be considered a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer that finds water issues interesting and that believes greater public education is needed about water issues. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water.